Well, most of you probably know we are in the middle of a process as a church of uh, building a new building in the future and uh, kind of creating a new home for our church. And this is all new to me. I I don't live in that world of buildings and, and all those things. And so I've been amazed how many tests there are to like just build a building on a piece of property. I don't know if you've ever done this, but there are tests for everything. You have to test water tables, wells, wastewater design, geotechnical design, topographical boundary surveys, and on and on and on. There's all these tests that you have to do. And I, and I had no idea there was so much that went into this. And one of the things that's really interested me, I, I don't know why, but uh, there's all these tests just for the dirt. Like they just go out and they like bore out samples of dirt and they tell you like how much sand is in your dirt and the compaction rates and the density of the dirt and what's in the dirt. Like, I, maybe I'm dumb. I thought dirt was dirt. <laughs> but no, it is not, at least not according to all of these city and federal agencies. Like, there's a billion types of dirt. So there's all these tests that you have to go to and And the one thing I do know about the dirt that we have out there on Love Lane is that every farmer I know tells me, you know, that's some of the best farming dirt in the world right there, and you're ruining it by putting a building on it. I was like, I'm sorry, take it up with the farmers that sold it to us. So, but I do know it's it's good, good dirt. It's been really interesting. I've thought about this a lot. This week, and I'm going to tie back to that because we are going to talk about dirt today. If you have a Bible, if you have a device, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 this morning. And this begins a section. We are jumping from last week, we were in Luke 7. We're going chronologically through the Gospels, and so we're jumping from Luke 7 to Matthew 13. Last week, we talked about uh, the woman who wept and, and, and and worshiped Jesus and all that stuff. And so he goes through that and then he leaves there and he goes to the sea in Galilee. And then he begins to preach these parables. And they're parables that are sometimes known as the kingdom parables. The thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else in the entire Bible is the kingdom of God. And how the kingdom of God was going to come into this world And Jesus would often use parables to describe the kingdom of God. And these parables in this section are interesting because Jesus actually refers to them as the secrets of heaven, which is kind of an amazing thing that Jesus would share with us the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. What is a parable? Parable comes from the Greek word parabole, which if you've seen in math, you got the parabolas, which I don't want to talk about math. Okay. But a parable literally means to place something or cast something alongside. And so what a parable is, is Jesus or many of the rabbis would place a physical reality that everybody understood alongside a spiritual truth to help us, to help them understand more fully the spiritual truth because they understand it based on a physical reality that takes place in their lives. You could say that parables are heavenly stories with earthly meanings. 
an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. One-third of all of Jesus' teaching is in the form of parables. One of the main reasons why these parables were so useful and necessary in these days is we have to remember this is a society where most people can't read. So they can't just go and read the scriptures again and again and again. And so one of the ways that Jesus and other rabbis would try to get an idea across to them was to tell them a story that they could latch onto and learn the spiritual truth because they could connect it to something that they understood. Giving somebody a story they could hold on to was a way of bringing truth into their heart to stay. There was no TV or radio or internet or YouTube or iPads or phones. And so the ancient form of entertainment was the storyteller. And there were people like Jesus who were master storytellers. And he is, of course, the greatest storyteller. And he could convey truth, important truth, by telling you a story that would bring you in. So let's start by looking at these stories. We're actually only going to get through one of these parables today, these kingdom parables, because it is so rich with meaning. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 through 23, but right now we're just going to read the first nine verses. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat behind this, beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into the boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. Since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So he tells this story, he goes out, he sits on a boat, right? There's crowds coming in around him, and so he's probably just trying to get a little bit of space between him and the crowds, but also... If you go and you sit out on the water, it's this natural amplification where more people can hear you. And so he goes and he sits on the boat. I like to think of it, I don't know why, but I like to think of him sitting on the bow of the boat with like one leg just kind of on both sides. He's like, hey guys, let's chat. I have no idea if that's how it went. But in my imagination, that's how Jesus is sitting on this boat. And he begins to tell them stories. He begins to teach the crowds and he tells this Parable of the sower. When I was growing up, I didn't know farmers like I know some farmers now. Uh, But I remember one of the first times I ever remember hearing this story, uh, there was a leader in my youth group named Pat. And Pat had grown up as a farmer. And he hated this story. He would get worked up about the story because he'd be like, no good farmer just throws his seed wherever. He would get so upset about that. And so the story bothered him. I was like, I think you're missing the whole, like, spiritual and physical. Like, he's like, no, bad farmer. Like, that's all that mattered to him. But Jesus begins to tell this story. And in this story, there's elements. There, are, there is the seed. And the seed is the gospel. The seed is the small but powerful 
thing that you drop into somebody's life and it can produce life. There's the sower, the one who is going about dispensing the seed, even if he's not doing the best job of just flicking it out there. There's the soil, and the soil represents the hearts that are receiving the gospel seed. And then he tells us that there's these different types of soil. He says there is the path or the wayside. This is the hardened soil that will not allow the seed to penetrate into the soil. It is devoured by the birds. This is a calloused and hardened heart. It is a stiff-necked heart. This is the kind of soil that a good farmer would not just throw their seed out onto. There's the rocky ground. Not much soil, lots of rocks. I learned about this when I lived out in River Rock in Belgrade and I tried to plant a mailbox. And I was like, oh, there's like one inch of dirt here and then just a whole bunch of giant rocks. There's just enough dirt there for the seed to kind of pop up quickly, but then there's no depth. And so the seed dies. This is the shallow heart that only has a little bit of soil that will receive the truth. Much of Israel at this time or still is, is rocky, so even where there seems to be soil, there's nothing underneath. And so the people, they understand what he's talking about. These might be people that are quick to emotionally respond to the gospel, but there's no depth for them to grow into. And then there's the thorny soil. Those whose hearts are already crowded by a lot of toxic things, the things of this world. These people are often torn between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. They may have too much Jesus in them to be happy with what the world offers, but they also have too much worldliness in them to be grateful for what God has given them. And then there's the good soil, the soil that has the nutrients, the soil like we have out in Love Lane, the great farming soil, right? This is a receptive heart where the seed takes root and grows to be fruitful. I want you to notice something. You read this story... Right off the top, 25% of the people who are hearing the gospel are completely uninterested. They're hard-hearted. They're stiff-necked. They want nothing to do with what we might have to say to them. They, it's casting pearls before swine. Immediately, it tells us 25% hard-hearted. 50% is minimal. That's that rocky soil, that, that soil that doesn't have much to it. It's a bit of a coin flip about whether or not they might respond to the gospel. And only 25%, notice this, only 25% of the people in this parable actually have an open heart to what God is doing. And they end up being fruitful and sometimes being multiplied fruitful, 30, 60, or 100-fold. We're going to unpack this parable a little bit more, but we're going to... Uh, Continue on in this chapter first. Matthew 13, 10 through 17, right in the middle of telling the parable and then explaining the parable, there's this section where the disciples ask, why do you speak in parables? Verse 10, then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, 
To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they un- understand. Indeed, their case, the prophecy, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should be, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. Parables were given to reveal truth in a deeper way to those who were seeking the truth. To those who want to have a spiritual understanding, the parable helps come alongside and explain to them the spiritual truth. To those who wanted to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus wanted to give them stories for them to understand it. Often these stories were mirrors that they could see themselves in. Or these stories were windows where they could see the heart of God through it. And to those people, Jesus is revealing revelation of who God is and how the kingdom works. Those who want to know, God is saying, these parables will give you a deeper understanding. But there's another group that Jesus uses the parables with. And it tells us that he uses it to conceal the truth because they would trample it like the swine. These people that do not want to hear the truth, they are not open, they are hard-packed soil, they don't, they're not interested in it. They won't see, they won't hear or understand. And then Jesus quotes from Isaiah, <clears throat> where Isaiah tells the people that they will not understand because their hearts had grown dull, their ears had stopped listening, and their eyes stopped looking. This is a difficult word. But Jesus knows the motivation of our hearts. He knows who wants, who wants to know the secrets of heaven. He knows who desires to know him and to grow in him, and he knows who have the people who have hardened their hearts to him. And so he uses these parables to both reveal truth and to conceal truth from different people. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The same rain that irrigates the fields can also flood the field and destroy them. And he talks about us, those who are seeking him, having blessed eyes and blessed ears. Jesus tells us to understand that we are blessed if we understand these words, these spiritual truths that he's coming alongside with physical realities. The parables of Jesus can both reveal the truth and conceal it. And he calls us blessed on a whole other level. It's amazing you read this story and he's telling them you are blessed because you are witnessing the fruition of the kingdom of God coming into place. Many of the people that have come before this time wanted to be there 
to see the Messiah come, but it's this generation who get to be there and witness the Messiah come, witness the Savior in the flesh. And they get to see the secrets of heaven revealed. Okay, let's kick back and what does Jesus say this parable means? Because what I say means nothing. What Jesus says means everything. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown along on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So Jesus explains this. He tells us blatantly that he's talking about four types of people, four types of hearts that are receiving the gospel. And each person is represented by a type of soil. And he gives us this hardened path. And he says, this seed falls along the path and it does not apprehend, right? It, it does not penetrate. It doesn't get in there. So the soil does not lay hold of the seed. And so the enemy of God comes and he snatches it away. And there's no chance for the seed to even break the surface. You might know somebody like this, and they might pop into your head immediately. Maybe you're right there, and you're just like, ah, I know that person. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They don't want to hear it. They are a hard path, and they will not even allow me to speak anything into their life. They aren't receptive of it. And when the, the sower who just kind of throws seed out there, like Pat says is bad, they don't receive it. And so in that case, we just pray. We just pray that their hearts would be opened. The rocky ground, the, those who are around the rocky ground, Jesus says that they may hear the gospel with joy, yet it does not take root. They endure shallowly for a while, but as soon as there's any kind of struggle, they will fall away. It's interesting here, side note, the sun is used in verse 6 to talk about the persecution that comes. But what also makes plants grow? The sun, right? Remember 7th grade? Photosynthesis? <clears throat> the sun, the persecution, the, the challenges are what cause growth, but they also can scorch it if there's no root system if people are not rooted in their faith. Most Christians that I know who have been walking with Jesus for any amount of time know that there are two realities simultaneously going on in our lives all the time. 
One is that following Jesus is the greatest decision that they've ever made in their lives. It comes with joy. It's a blessing. It gives their lives purpose. It makes them better in different areas of their life. And all of that is true. But at the same time, there's this other reality. That walking with Jesus is no simple task. It's difficult at times. It means sacrifice. Sometimes it means pain. And a lot of times people have a hard time realizing that those things are not mutually exclusive. That they exist in us at the same time. It is the greatest blessing and at times the greatest trial. If you're married, you understand this. If you have children, you understand this in some way. Greatest blessing but also sometimes the greatest trial. Those things work together. They are concurrently true. And so when Jesus describes the rocky road, (coughs) he is speaking about those who cannot handle any sort of battle, any sort of persecution. There's no root system. And so when the sun comes and tries to give life, it actually just scorches them and they fall away. Here's the thorny soil. Seed from the thorny soil, they they hear the gospel. But the thorns of the world come in. The worries of daily life for their desire for riches in this world choke out their growth and they end up unfruitful. This could be someone who was once focused on the Lord and being part of the kingdom of God, but then the cares of the world come in and they begin to just choke out everything. They they are toxic. They choke out everything that is spiritual and replace it with just worry, anxiety, concern. Jesus says the, the deceitfulness of riches can do this. Again, we've talked about this quite a few times. There's nothing wrong with having wealth or being blessed financially. But when you start to believe that that is what gives you quality of life, when you believe that that is what gives you purpose or meaning, then it is deceitful to believe that your life can be based in those things. It is wrong to believe that that can do what only God can do. And so people get pulled away by the thorniness of the world. That is such a great way to think about the world, isn't it? It's just thorny. Everywhere you turn, you're getting poked, like, oh, like, you just want to chop, chop it off. It's thorny. And then there's the good soil. The ones who have soil, they're ready to, to hear the gospel. They take it in. They desire to know the truth of God. And they grow deep root systems, and they flourish, and they hear the word, and they understand it, and they take hold of it. And then it tells us that those people, the good soil, can actually bear a crop that will yield a hundred or sixty or thirty-fold what has been sown into them. Jesus also, in the middle of this, he gives us the expansion program for the kingdom of God. I love this. The kingdom of God is a word-of-mouth business. It is those who apprehend, those who hold on, they go and they take the seed and they spread it, hopefully better than this sower. They spread it responsibly, not just, right? Do you notice how many times in this brief passage, 23 verses, that the word hear or hearing was used? 
By my count, 12 times in 23 verses, we see the word hear or hearing. Jesus is telling us that the world, that thorny world, that shallow world, needs to hear the gospel. Romans tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And it says, how are they to hear if somebody does not preach to them? This is the expansion plan for sharing the gospel to just tell people. Please nobody get offended by what I'm about to say next. Try not to, right? Be with me. Try not to be offended, okay? Oftentimes, St. Francis of Assisi is credited as saying to preach the gospel always and when you need to use words. There's a problem. There's no proof he ever said that whatsoever. There's another problem. It's a stupid thought. <laughs> this whole idea, and I know, I know we want it, okay? Stay with me here. I know we want to just say, if I just live differently, somebody will magically ask me, what's different about you? And that has happened. I'm not saying it doesn't. Maybe that's how you got saved. You saw someone, you're like, man, there's something different. That's awesome if that happens. But the vast majority of everyone I know who has ever been saved by Jesus was saved because somebody shared the gospel with them. They didn't just like act nice near them. They told them the truth. Not in a mean way. Not in a, you're going to burn it out. Like, no, but they shared the truth of the glory of the gospel of Jesus with somebody. I'm not standing here as Pastor Nick today if there's not a guy named Roger Hill who was a football coach and said, this kid needs Jesus. So he told me the truth. And most of you who follow Jesus probably have that story. Somebody opened their mouth, used words, and told you the truth and told you how much you were loved by God. Okay, off that soapbox for right now. I want to look again just at the last line of this verse as we begin to bring this to a close. The last line, the end of verse 23, he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another case 60, in another case 30. That's the goal. Church family, that is the goal. This whole thing of being the soil that receives the gospel, that germinates and grows and, and gives nutrients to, and all these things like coming to church and being part of small groups, all these things that you're doing to grow. The goal is to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. To love God, to love people, and to make disciples. What is that fruit? That's what I started thinking about as I, as I was coming to a close on this. Is like We just kind of say fruit, but what does that mean? How do you bear fruit that's 100 or 60 or 30 fold of what you were sown into? There's many different fruits that come with a life that's devoted to God, but I think Paul gives us a pretty good list, right? 
He tells us that the fruit that comes from keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, and remember from last week we said it's better that Jesus goes because then he sends the Holy Spirit to reside in us. So now we have the Holy Spirit, and then it says, now bear fruit, and what is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? You guys that spent any time at YAA in the summertime or in children's church or any of those things, you know what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Whoa. Right? So maybe it's time for us. Listen. If you've zoned out on me, come back to me. Maybe it's time for us to take some self-soil samples. To, to get that auger out, to dig down and to realize all dirt is not exactly the same. And take some self-samples of what's going on. If you were to do that, if you were to dig down and take a sample of the soil and what's coming, the fruit that's coming out of that soil, how would those samples look in different times of your life? You can probably look back, like I can, to certain times and be like, that was nothing but rocky gross, nothing, Belgrade dirt. I still live in Belgrade. It's okay. I can say that. Maybe you can think about your soil before you came to know Jesus or just early in your life, but when you look at the recent soil samples of your life, would you test high in levels of love or joy or peace Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you were to do what a lot of the guys on my board, they love to make graphs. Everything's a graph. Right? Maybe you're a grapher. If you were to graph out your soil sample, would it be this graph that slowly kind of goes further, further, you know, up and to the right like you want? Or is it a roller coaster graph? Man, my patience. Or is it that roller coaster where it goes all the way underground under a tunnel and you're like, I'm hoping it comes out the other side? What would your soil samples, what would our soil samples show for these fruits and all of these fruits lead to sharing the gospel with people? So all of those things work together. What do those soil samples look like for us? Maybe it's time for us to each take accountability for the fruit that we are producing, starting with the kind of soil that the gospel is being sown into in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. Maybe we need to be honest with ourselves. That's one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? To just take an honest sample and just be like, you know, right now, my gentleness is bottomed out. I, I, might, I might be pretty self-controlled, but I have no patience for anyone else. And we just be honest about these things so that we can start praying and asking God to help us grow, which I know is the most terrifying prayer. God, help me grow. Oh, ooh, that hurts. Let's be honest about it. Let's be honest. Like, Are you hard-packed path soil right now? 
Are you the rocky ground where the faith springs up, but it, it can quickly be scorched away? Are we the soil that gets choked out by the worries of this world or the desire for the riches? Or are we living for the kingdom of God and seeking to bear a harvest that will yield 160 or 30 times fold what we've been given? I pray that most of everyone in this room and listening to me now is in that last category. But I've been in ministry long enough to know that that's not the case. That there's people right now who are, are being honest, which is a beautiful thing, and saying, right now I'm hard-packed, man. Or right now it's pretty rocky. I pray that if you're in one of those first three groups that you would hear this, come back. That you would hear this. Our God is the creator of all things. He created dirt with nothing but a word and then created us with nothing but dirt. So he can take that hard-packed soil and he can turn it into soil that will be a hundredfold. He can take wherever you're at now and help you to grow and to get deeper into the word, and to get deeper into discipleship, and help you become the kind of person who longs to hear the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Today, I would challenge you, if you take those self-samples, and you are honest with yourself, and you say, I am wanting, that you would do something scary, and that you would ask God, help me to grow. Bring those samples back up to where they need to be so that I exude the fruits of the Spirit so that I can go out and share the truth of the gospel. Pray that the Lord would ask you to help. Pray that you would ask the Lord to help you have more rich soil. To renew the work that he's doing in your life and replant the gospel that maybe has faded away at some point. And I would ask you to pray, intercede, beg God to help you to desire in your heart to be the kind of person whose life gives 100, 60, 30. Let's go big. Let's just stick with the 100. God, would you help me to be the kind of person whose life is 100-fold into the kingdom of God than what I've received? If people do that, if you... Ask God, if you request from the Lord, Lord, I want more of you. And I want to be the kind of person who has a deeper, more rich, more growing soil. I believe that God will do that in your life. It can be scary. It's like praying for patience. It's the scariest thing in the world because God's not going to miraculously give you patience. He's going to give you reasons to be patient. Right? And so on but it is so worth it. It goes back again to this truth that we live in this world where following Christ is the greatest blessing that we could possibly have, but it also is some of the hardest trials. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word again. I'm just, I'm blown away by your word, Lord and how it just challenges us. <clears throat> but it challenges us to be better. 
to be greater sons and daughters of you, Lord, to be greater citizens of this kingdom that you've given us so that we can share your truth with those who do not know you. We are in a thorny world, a shallow world, a scorched world in a lot of ways. Help us to grow in these spiritual fruits so that we can then be there and be available and be willing to speak the truth so that those who need you can hear the truth so that the kingdom of God would be crowded. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. All God's people said.